Good morning. Um, our reading is from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 34, and you'll find that on page 989. It's entitled, Jesus' Sorrow for Jerusalem. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe welcome Beth to come and speak to us now. Um, mind if I just pray quickly? That'd be lovely. Father God, we thank you for bringing Beth back to us this morning, and we pray that your words will be uh, the words that she speaks to us. Father, speak through her into our hearts, and may our hearts and minds be changed this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mary. Did you hear the announcement last week? Our cultural imagining of God's face is changing. You see, researchers from the University of North Carolina, they've recently asked more than 500 American Christians about their perceptions of God. And participants were shown hundreds and hundreds of faces in pairs, and they were asked to choose which of the pair looked more like their perception of God. And Jeff, could you put up on the screen the results of that research? There we have it, the face of God. I wonder, what does that tell us? To be honest, I suspect it doesn't tell us very much about God at all. But looking deeper into the research, then we find that the predominant correlation was that people imagine the face of God to resemble themselves albeit tainted or, or shaped by a bit of their historic perceptions. And so it's interesting. Older people imagine God older, younger people younger. Conservatives were more likely to see God as white and powerful, and liberals as younger and loving. And this one amused me. Attractive people are more likely to imagine an attractive God. But... Researchers found that regardless of the gender of their participants, they still imagined the face of God predominantly masculine. Now that is interesting, isn't it? Because after all, we read in Genesis, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I wonder, why don't more women Imagine God's face as female. Deep down, do women question whether they are really made in God's image? Well, 
Sadly, there are women who have so struggled to find positive feminine role models in the Bible that they have rejected our faith. And they've written off the Bible as a bit of patriarchal nonsense for a bygone age. But I disagree. Like many Christian women, I read the Bible as profoundly liberating and empowering for women. I'm getting nods, this is good. It's just as empowering for women as it is for men. Now, of course, we have to acknowledge the patriarchal lens through which it was written. But then I think that makes it all the more astounding how many strong, courageous and godly women do appear in the pages of this book. And of course, given the patriarchal lens, it makes me wonder how many strong, courageous, and godly women were completely written out of the narrative too. But that's by the by. You see, as we will come to see, God himself has not shied away from encouraging feminine metaphors to speak of his nature. Which shouldn't surprise us, because as we've heard, the Bible starts by affirming that God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. As for me, as a woman, I don't doubt that I am just as much made in the image of God as my male friends. Yes, a work in progress, but made in God's image. But personally, that still doesn't make me imagine the face of God to be a woman. You see... While we are indeed made in God's image, God is by very nature spirit. There's a mystery to it. It's bigger than that. So for me to speak of God's face and to discuss whether it is male or female, well, it makes no sense, really. Yes, God the Son took on flesh and lived among us as a man with a face, probably a youngish male Middle Eastern face. But I don't believe that we can or should try to project a human face, let alone a gender, onto the whole of the Godhead. Instead, I think that we should celebrate that male and female alike, we are made in God's image, neither more important than the other. Now, perhaps that was a rather long-winded introduction to our topic this morning, discussing God as mother But I wanted to use this image to make it really clear that, well, we're not talking about what God looks like when we start to use that word mother. So, Jeff, let's get rid of this picture, shall we? Let's take it away. The trouble is, God may be spirit, but we are both flesh and spirit. Take away the face of God and we need something else, don't we? Something to help us build up our mental image so that we can relate to God. And that, I think, is where the poetry of the Bible really helps. We're quite comfortable with picture language, poetry, aren't we? With metaphor. And the Bible is full of it. That psalm that we read together, well, it had that beautiful language in it. You see, the Psalmists and the prophets, whenever they were trying to speak of something bigger and more mysterious than our everyday flesh and blood existence, they would draw on metaphor. And the psalm we read painted a beautiful word picture of God. Our God as the one who not only creates us, but tends and nurtures us. 
And the poem didn't use the phrase explicitly, but it starts to paint a very familiar image. It starts to paint a picture of a mother's tender love. And what about our gospel reading? Well, there we had Jesus himself weeping over Jerusalem and painting a beautiful picture of a mother hen gathering her chicks, providing warmth and comfort and protection, even when they'd messed up. And he wasn't painting a new image there. In fact, he was picking up on similar metaphors throughout scripture. And I want to invite all of you to help us explore that a bit more. A couple of you have the wonderful privilege of having a Bible with a little sticky tab in it. I'm wondering, has somebody got Psalm 17 verse 8? And would they like to read it for us? Let me wave a microphone your way. Who's got Psalm 17? Ah, right back over here. There you go. This is congregational Bible reading. Thank you. And what about Psalm 57, verse 1? Who's got that? Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Thank you. And maybe one more Psalm example. Who's got Psalm 91? Ah, thank you. He will cover you with feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Thank you. So they're just three examples from the Psalms. But before you think it was just the poets and the songwriters who used this sort of imagery, what about some examples from the prophet Isaiah? Now, Isaiah went further, and when God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, he moved away from animal metaphors to human metaphors. As well here, if somebody's got Isaiah 42, who has Isaiah 42? Aha, wonderful. Thank you. For a long time, I've kept silence. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. Thank you. So there God is comparing himself to a woman in childbirth. Now, I wonder who has got Isaiah 49. This is perhaps the most moving that I have, I have for us to read this morning. This is so special, this verse. Here we go. Let's read this one. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? and have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Thank you. And we have one more, and this links into our gospel again. Isaiah 66. Where was Isaiah 66? Oh, that would help. Hello, there. Um, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who's read. Now, don't you long to be loved like that? And isn't it humbling to think that the God who created heaven and earth, who created the universe, cares for you and for me so tenderly, like a mother? Now, 
As soon as we start talking about mothers, then my heart breaks for the people who have not experienced a good relationship with a mother. And indeed, as David emphasized in his talk last week on God the Father, we know that no human parents are perfect, but sadly, some are even less perfect than we'd like. But perhaps we can imagine what a perfect mother would be like. One who loves us in the way that the Psalms that we've just heard describes, in the way that Jesus described. And then when you add that metaphor to all the other wonderful and nuanced metaphors that we have for our powerful, awesome, creator, redeemer, almighty, humble, mysterious, yet intimately loving God, I think describing God as one who mothers us is definitely a good idea. The question is, how far should we go in using that language? Well, up on the slides, you can see a copy of the uh, new Methodist worship book. And in 1999, the Methodist Church became the first mainstream Christian denomination in the UK to refer to God as our mother in a formal prayer. And in one of the nine communion services in that book, then the Thanksgiving prayer, as you see here, addresses God, our Father, and our Mother. And this caused quite a bit of a stir in both the religious and the secular press. And the Reverend Neil Dixon, who was head of liturgy in the Methodist Church, he spoke to the Guardian and he said this, God is not a person. God is a spirit and God is beyond gender. And if it is an article of our religion that human beings are made in the image of God then both male and female must help us to understand God's nature and express our understanding of God's nature. And that's the crucial point, isn't it? This is about understanding something on the very limits of our experience that we don't really have words for. But Jeff, throw up the next slide, would you please? Because the theologian Lynn Japina wrote this. She said... Language about God should help us to understand and encounter God, but we should not confuse the reality of God with the limits of our language. Shall I say that again? We should not confuse the reality of God with the limits of our language. And I think that's a really helpful lens to look at what we're talking about this morning. And indeed, it's all very well and good, this move to use the word mother more in our worship. But if this mother language is so useful, why hasn't it happened before? I can just hear you're imagining this. But of course, it has happened before. Despite the patriarchy of previous cultures, there are numerous examples of great Christian leaders and teachers referring to God as mother. In the second century, Clement of Alexandra spoke of Christians nursing at the breast of God the Father. Or what about Mr. Eckhart, the uh, medieval mystic, who describes God activity like this. From all eternity, God lies on a maternity bed, giving birth. And in the 14th century, our local Christian mystic, Mother Julian of Norwich, said this. Jesus Christ, who himself overcame evil with good is our true mother. We received being from him. And this is where his maternity starts. 
And with it comes the gentle protection and guard of love, which will never cease to surround us. Some of that's quite challenging. But the interesting question to me is why do these images keep cropping up? And I find it helpful what Neil Dixon said. He said, we're following a Christian tradition of using female images in reference to God, which is evident in the Bible. I also find it interesting that the biblical writers, who often, as we're starting to hear, use feminine images of God, they have stopped short of using mother as an exclusive title. And certainly, they never use mother goddess. And to do so, the Hebrew scholar Samuel Terrien suggests, would have been to collude with the ancient Near Eastern culture, which confused the divine with nature. It could give the impression that Mother Earth was being worshipped as Mother Goddess. No, the biblical images where God's motherhood is emphasised, well, they're much more relational and transformational than that. So perhaps it's time to dig out just two more. I wonder, who has Hosea 13? Fantastic. Let's bring this over and turn the microphone on this time. I do apologize. <laughs> like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open like a lion. I will devour them, a wild animal, and tear them apart. We're certainly not talking uh, all motherhood and apple pie there, are we? And uh, tempting as it is for me to continue down that, I think I might be stealing the thunder from next week. Come back next week to think about God as a jealous God. But certainly there's something in there that God as our mother will protect us fiercely. And then there's one more. One more that I think might speak particularly powerfully to us today. This comes from Deuteronomy, and uh, the, the people in the story here, then uh, we have God and we have Jacob. Peter, would you read it to us? In a desert land he found him, in a barren waste and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. Now what do we make of that? To me, thinking of God as the mother eagle who stirs up the nest, encouraging the young eagles to spread their wings and fly, it speaks of enabling risk and new growth. And certainly the story of Jacob, if you know it, is one of risk, admittedly with a good dose of strong-willed foolishness, and certainly of much learning and growth. And I love the picture of God that we just heard, watching over him, encouraging him, but giving him the space to step out and to make mistakes, to learn and to grow and as I think about it, it strikes me that perhaps that is the most important aspect of motherhood. The most important role of a mother is summed up in that picture. 
And it's not to say that the early years where the mother has to meet the need of the helpless child isn't critically important. Those years are. But I wonder if the main role of a mother, of any parent, is to prepare the child for life as an adult. God made us in his image. Male and female, he created us, and he created us for a purpose. He's given each of us a vocation, a role to fulfill, and a person to grow into. And the big story that repeats itself again and again through scripture is of men and women, and indeed whole nations, trying, struggling, trying again with God's help to grow into the people that God is calling them to be. And so perhaps this picture is one for this time and this place too. You see, you might remember how in the last vacancy, we quite often... Can I keep the other image up, Jeff, actually? Otherwise, you'll steal my thunder. Thank you. You might remember how in the last vacancy, we quite often referred to where Camborne as a town was, and indeed the church, as feeling a bit like we were entering adolescence, and we were looking for a new minister to walk with us through those difficult teenage years. Here we are in vacancy again. And I wonder if now we are in a position to start to think about how we step up and become adults in this new town. Perhaps God is challenging us to learn to fly. Watched closely and encouraged and enabled by God as Mother Eagle. And if that is the message, well, I wonder what it might look like for us. As I've carried this image of Mother Eagle around with me this week, wrestling and praying and asking what it is that God is trying to say to this precious place, well, two things have settled into my mind. And I wonder if these might be what our mothering God wants to say to us, wants to challenge us to do as we dare to try to think and act like mature Christians in Camborne. I think the first thing is that this maturing has to start at an individual level. Now, this might mean that we each start to take more responsibility for our individual spiritual growth, not waiting to be spoon-fed, but daring to seek out good nourishment, just like those baby eagles start to learn to catch food for themselves. Now, the temptation, of course, is always just to try and fill up on, on, on the stuff that we like and the easy stuff. But any good mother will encourage her children to eat the greens and to try new things and different foods. So I wonder, might there be spiritual disciplines that it's worth exploring for yourself? Something you've never tried but might be good for you, like fasting or prayer walking or Bible reading or silence. And at the link tonight in the school, then we're going to try walking a labyrinth and sitting in a circle to pray in the style of Mr. Eckhart. That's the first thing, individual growth. And the second, well, maybe the other side of growing up is taking our place in society, becoming responsible and trustworthy. And so I wonder what that looks like for us in the church and for us as the church. I wonder, how is God calling you 
to step up and take responsibility for something in here or something out there, something that's going to make a difference to how we, the church, live out our calling to share good news, to be open, to serve, to pray, to engage with the world, and to love. Now, whether it is personal or corporate, it's got to be about spreading our wings and looking outward, hasn't it? But all the while knowing that God is with us as a mother eagle soaring over us, ready to catch us and hold us aloft. And that's a picture that I want to hold on to. And that leads me almost back to where I started. So Jeff, do you want to put up the final slide now? You see, the Godhead may not have a single human face. Not a single human face that we can identify with and imagine, but God's church, look at this, this is of us. God's church has the many, many faces of God's children. And my prayer is that God's family traits will be obvious to all those around us that will demonstrate by what we do and how we do it the good news that God's nature is to mother us as tenderly and powerfully as a mother eagle. May our faces show that God is the one stirring up the nest, hovering over us, spreading his wings to carry us and carrying us aloft. And I wonder, what difference would it make in our lives and in the life of Camborne if we lived like we really believed that? Perhaps I can end with a blessing that comes again from the prophet Isaiah. May you run and not grow weary. May you rise up as on eagle's wings. And may you know without doubt that the everlasting God goes with you.